Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 18 of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. I'm Tom. And I'm Hyman, living in this underground bunker where Brexit has happened and the world has ended. To help us through this, we've got a friend all the way live via satellite from the United States of America. It's Sam. How you doing, guys? It's really, really, really good to be here. I've actually been listening to your show uh, oh, you're since the one. you first... You're yeah, the yeah, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the one fan. Um, since you first linked it to me, uh, it's been very amusing and I, I like to listen to it while I'm at work. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about E3 2016, and I really want to focus a little bit less on specific games and more just the general direction of where video games is heading. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. All, all the 3DI type stuff. Just prior to that, Sam, as you might have guessed, does still have that British twang to his accent, letting you know that he moved to America <laughs> from Britain. We're going to be talking about Sam's experience being a Brit in Texas. It's, uh, it's something, all right. <laughs> yeah, but to start us off, though, we're going to be talking about America and I would call it an obsession with guns or no, gun control. No, it's maybe. a fetish. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. a fetish. You haven't seen the way they look at them. Yeah, <laughs> All of that. Man, and uh, when they build a leather gun, that place is going to explode. <laughs> All of that and more on this episode. There was, I think this was June 12th, the same day as uh, O.J. Simpson murdered Nicole Brown. Oh, God, wrong episode, sorry. But June 12th. <laughs> June, Doing that, O.J. <laughs> I can't, white America can't get over it, and I can't either. O.J., he didn't use a gun, he used a knife, which isn't really the American criminal's weapon of choice. We're, of course, talking about American guns. There was a mass shooting back on June 12th of this year in a, a nightclub called Pulse, which was a, a gay hotspot, I think, of some type. Oh, what was it, Orlando? Yeah, Orlando, correct? Yeah. And uh, so 50 people shot dead. I think probably far more were wounded as well. And uh, it's kind of brought a resurgence of the gun control debate, which seems to spring up about every three or four years in American politics. You had Sandy Hook in 2012. Aurora, what was that, 2014? I mean, from my understanding, like a lot of this gun control stuff is like reactionary to it. It's like after an event has happened, everyone just kind of like, oh shit, yes, I forgot to vote. I should probably do that. There's, there's, There's a ton of talk, but not really any follow through it seems that's uh, that's quite typical of any of these sorts of politics um, with guns in particular a lot of the time the conversation about guns is about we need to stop this particular incident from happening we need to just remove that instrument that made it so easy uh, that instrument itself is so prevalent in this society and the use of that is, is so symbolic of the founding of this country the United States that that it's it's pretty much embedded embedded in its DNA. Yeah, because there's so many guns in America. For every 100 Americans, there are 88 guns. Yes. It's a little bit crazy. It is a bit crazy. I, born and raised in London, come from that mentality that gun. What do you need a gun for? Yeah. So, yeah, you have a lot of these things about like the Second Amendment. And the main mentality is that uh, so many people have been conditioned. Like America is still very much a bubble. The Internet has brought out a lot of news from the outside world but you know it's still very selective because I mean like to draw a comparison in Britain where guns are almost pretty much virtually outright banned the number of gun deaths every year basically it's it's always the same range it's usually between 20 and 40 people and in Mm -hmm. 
2015, in terms of just gun homicides, it was around 13, I think nearly 13,000 people died in 2015 versus about 30 in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And that's simply down to the sheer number of them in circulation and how many people have them. That's that's basically the the, the number of human error, so it's, whether it's, it's emotional or physical. That's, these are like deaths that some would say coincidental almost yeah but how, yeah. You know, how many of them was the police like you you still yeah. have instances where you have to call the police to shoot someone because mm. they're hurting people and there's nothing you can stop them and they're with. armed and yeah that that's a huge um, the mentality is that there are so many guns in, already out there if all the good people who want to give up their guns do so then that means that the people without guns will suddenly be vastly outnumbered uh, at the which mercy makes them, of the people who do at, have guns right and it, that's and that's another a fear culture mentality because there are some places in like this downtown Chicago it has strict gun control but it has so much prevalence in guns I I want to ask you a question when you when you got to America what caliber of gun did they give you (laughs) at at the airport (laughs) and do you still have it and is it and is it a toy gun now compared to the arsenal you must have well um, I have been wanting to go to the range to shoot because I I do think that's fun I do Mm. enjoy um, shooting guns and rifles on a range, although I've only done rifles before. I actually have a box of um, a couple hundred uh, nine millimeter rounds that I've been meaning to go down to the range with. So I don't actually have a gun, but I, right. I've got ammunition, and I and I bought that box when it was kind of cheaper. About five hundred uh, nine millimeters. I got about is that uh, got is that 200. is that the way it's done? You buy your own bullets, but you rent their gun. <laughs> the, no, well, I mean that. literally. You, I don't know. No, no, that, if, that makes sense. You, that's quite a good, good idea. That, that's actually something that you do. Yeah, you you kind of. I think the etic the etiquette overall is if you're going to go shoot someone else's gun mm. at the very least provide you know something like either your own bullets or tequila that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> sure mass shootings they're defined as like four deaths or more and under that definition there was a total of uh, there's been a total of three 136 mass shootings in this year alone I can't uh, I mean, help fr- but feel that all of this bit the, all the busy talk all the statistics that they come up with and throw at you is just distracting from a deeper cultural issue but yeah is it in America if something happens in Orlando does Texas care at all yeah it's become a lot about um, a lot more than just the states like that what happened in Orlando is a lot more I don't know because because it happened to uh, at a gay club there was a lot more vested interests it became more than just a shooting Mm. Um, it came almost a a hate crime as well yeah and because of what happened because of where it happened regardless of where it happened these are still innocent lives being lost but because of where it happened there were differences in reactions there has been one pastor just openly saying you know what happened there was good yeah he celebrated it yeah he celebrated that um but overall it you're only expected to be absolutely devastated by this just because you're expected to be a human being yeah so it is as long if you're a human being then you are that something like that is absolutely devastating but instead you have i guess i like to i i consider them bot men mentalities where they're focused more on a certain aspect of what someone said about this thing. For example, a lot of the people going off about, oh, you're going to call this the biggest mass shooting in history? What about the Native Americans here? 
What about mm. this? What about that? Which fair enough, that's great. But this there's a time and a place, and it, it shows that there's so many personal agendas and so many opinions that are pretty much saying the same thing. It it has become almost comical. normal. Yeah, no, not just comical, but it, it's become that there's a, there's a pattern yeah. happening. Yeah, it's normalized. Yeah. Like the people who sh- who are not outraged are you know they they talk about how outraging it is and how unfortunate it is and how much they're going to pray. But it, there is a, a still a, a culture that doesn't think as much about these shootings and focuses on, well, that guy did this and we have to worry about these things that that guy did. Yeah, because the narrative in Britain, whenever there's a mass shooting in America, the narrative from Britain is just, oh, well, uh, Americans are kind of like part of the collective psyche is like just this mass paranoia of government tyranny, which obviously like was passed down from the founding fathers onward. The, uh, the whole raisin detriment of the founding fathers drawing up the constitution was to make sure an American government could never really become tyrannical and oppress citizens of the United States. Yeah, that is actually a bit... Um, things are actually done in this country, believe it or not, through diplomacy and bureaucracy. There's very, very few people who actually believe that the government is a threat to their on that level yeah. like the government is suddenly going to rise up and you're going to need to protect yourself from them because the people in um, the military and the police force all of them they, they don't really want gun control as much as a lot of people on the left want they're, they're, they're anti-gun control so you're going to be ha- asking those people that work for you to go and take someone else's guns away from them that they're not going to fly with that I can't remember <laughs> where, where I saw this I think it was uh, some kind of YouTube documentary type thing but it was talking about uh, every culture has an archetype hero and normally the hero is very pious very selfless always willing to give in to self-sacrifice but in America there's a kind of hero archetype that is the gun-toting trigger-happy outlaw who isn't going to be hemmed in by the police and you know what I mean like a Bonnie and Clyde a type. Jesse James yeah and I think does that do you think maybe that's job. like that's kind of how no. Americans see themselves kind of America saw themselves more like Superman <laughs> like there is there is good intentions but this blind arrogance because you're fucking superman ain't you exceptional and the world needs you so um, i mean america has pretty much always had gun control laws i remember yeah, reading I mean, how sawn off shotguns were considered not viable under the second amendment where you're living right now are there open carry laws uh yes well okay i, I live in texas yes but i'm yeah. also in austin right which we- is the one little liberal oasis it's a bubble isn't it from what i understand <laughs> Kind of. I hope it doesn't burst. Um, it's <laughs> it's going to get... burst with hipsters. So, more like, than if anything. Texas secedes from the Union, Austin will That's... secede from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that would be ridiculous. And, and then how far can can counties <laughs> secede from the rest of the states? Yeah, this uh, this apartment block is seceded. Yeah, seceded. <laughs> Everyone that watched King of the Hill gets a stay. Everyone that doesn't. Because you're right, there's, there's a real heavy focus on assault rifle, which is mm-hmm. kind of missing a point in the sense that most gun deaths actually come from handguns like mm. a, a Glock 9 a Beretta I'm trying I'm trying to show off that I no, know some gun no, names you, you're looking at the concept of the power of the weapon equals the danger of the weapon yeah and I think absolutely yeah because I think the American government has kind of said well look a lot of that is uh, inner city black gang crime related and we kind of just want to yeah we're going to stay away from that that's a that's a racial thing we don't really want to get involved in that so how come just, they focus yeah. on assault rifles and leave
leave handguns alone. Um, because it's a wonderful distraction. The more you're talking about what an assault rifle is, the less you're talking about... How to get rid of them. How to get rid of them, yeah. And, and if you start talking about, well, actually, handguns are more dangerous, well, what are you saying? You're, say, you're saying that a, a very popular type of firearm is not officially endorsed. Like, you don't say you don't, you don't think that something is safe. You're, you're talk, they talk about how it is not the terrible thing that it is being accused of. Right. What about- There's no actual point to them having this discussion because it doesn't actually solve anything that happened. Yeah, like you say, I think it has become um, such a normal thing. Fifty people, okay, fifty people died. There are going to be so many people who would shrug at that number and just not care. Yeah, I think um, a kind of uh, reaction to Sandy Hook, which was the this, uh, primary, what we call primary school. What do you call it? Yeah. The elementary school in America. Mm. Little kids getting shot in the face, basically. And yeah. I remember thinking after how. Like uh, in Australia, there was a mass shooting, and they immediately banned guns. In Britain, yeah. there was the Dunblane massacre, yeah. and we banned yeah. guns. And then Sandy Hook happened, and it was just like nothing, right? It was almost like yeah, the, the impression I got was uh, Sandy a- was a lesbian. They love guns. <laughs> she they was putting up gun shelves. <laughs> I'm glad they shut that Sandy Hooker. <laughs> but they, I, the impression I got was that a lot of Americans, especially gun advocates, uh, they look at it as well. That, you know what? That that's the price of freedom. Freedom means bad things are mm. going to happen as well mm. as good things. That the f- freedom that, that, <laughs> that has no business coming into this conversation at all, and it really bothers me that people would do that. Again, like the the conversation is, there are so many guns in in circulation. It would take a real. Uh, let, let's say you removed all the guns physically. They would removed. still be manufactured. They would. The, to, it, they exist. It's an yeah. industry. It, you arms have sales, to make it. Uh, international arms I mean, sales as well. If you look at Birmingham, Birmingham City, it, well, it's got literally got a gun quarter, and they basically sell to America exclusively. Oh. That's a whole economy that's going to be fucked. So wow. the the latest news that we were getting over here was about how uh, I think it was the Democrats they wanted to do they wanted to link gun ownership and the no fly zone the terrorist no fly zone so anyone on that no fly list they can't buy a gun that seems like common sense really it really does sounds Um, like common sense (laughs) and it does sound like common sense it seems like common sense but that's a distraction from why people are put on that list in the first place apparently you can be placed on that list for any reason whatsoever and the conversation is like just kind of false accusations almost mm. we want them to um, they're, they're trying to take away our guns always on that one side and the other side is Congress wants terrorists to have guns you know it's not really uh, and no, no discussion about this watch list why it happens and why it's suddenly so important yeah it's rumoured that it's, it's important because he was he, he, he was uh, uh, on that list Omar Mateen yeah. yeah so the idea is if, if you had that he wouldn't be able to do it but uh, Adam Lam his mother I can't remember her name like she wouldn't have been on the no-fly list is it a terrorist watch list or a no-fly list I thought there were different things I think well because the, the phrase we kept hearing over here was no fly no buy that was the slogan oh. yeah but that's against bisexuals more than <laughs> <laughs> definitely do not want they bisexuals just make having it guns so much harder to fly always pressing the buzzer asking for the stewardess oh, do I shoot him do I shoot her it's very uncomfortable <laughs> he's got a bald patch it looks like a thing I aim at but I mean quite so 
surprise unsurprisingly the nra came out against this new legislation they come out against any kind of gun control legislation but the ucla they didn't like this uh, legislation either they're quite a very liberal and progressive group i don't actually know about that the american civil liberties union i think they they normally they're like a non uh, non-governmental operation where they oh, help people um, enforce their civil rights and things uh, probably because the list itself is dubious i think that that's what it really comes down to that the having that list i remember yeah that's right i remember this com- conversation a couple of years ago having that list was a, a violation of civil liberties because right. the government is effectively spying on you yeah in secret as well yeah. yeah in secret and this is a secret list no one knows no, no one knows if they're on it because <laughs> <laughs> it's rumored yeah. there's millions of americans on it yeah and that's all we know about it millions i was gonna say sam because we were talking beforehand and you were saying like you've spoken to a few american colleagues and friends mm-hmm. and how do they react to your take on guns do they do they see it as like oh don't worry he'll grow into it after living here a little while or i don't outright reject them i understand the context that guns have in this society and it's it's kind of crazy Mm. it it is kind of crazy when when you're walking around and you think anyone could have a gun but depending on how much fear affects you it'll affect the individual differently actually just as an example, it's not a very good example, but I mean, not a very hopeful example, but um, the guy that sits behind me at work, he's telling me that he saw a guy with open carry. Um, no big deal. But he saw the pistol and, and my friend had been in the military. Mm. So he uh, he noticed that the safety was off on the pistol. Oh, wow. He told him, um, hey, buddy, um, your safety's off. And then the guy turned to him and called him like a liberal pussy oh, for and what? told him to fuck off. Yeah, seriously. That's uh, being I, the friendly your flies are down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right, yeah. you shoot your own dick off then, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually heard an American say guns shouldn't be here whatsoever. Like, uh, not not the ones that, that I spoke to, because a lot of them, like, they've lived with guns, they've uh, they own guns, and it's just such a casual thing that I didn't know one of my friends even had a gun in his car in a in a, in a safe box. For for months since I first met him, a common a common talking point, <laughs> a common argument from gun advocates is that oh well, look at the cities that have the highest levels of gun crime. They always tend to be the the cities at the highest levels of gun control law. But are right. they are they putting the cart before the horse? Is the reason why there's so many gun laws is because there were a lot of shooting? Yes, and uh, at the same time, it because there's such strict gun laws, people uh, are less likely to legally purchase them, mm. which means that those who have guns got them through other means so which a, chances are they're not in a very a grey market economy like not so much a black market but like more like a, a, a well you get the them box. from other states and then you sp- sneak them in and oh, sell okay. them off and the people who were who do use guns in those situations don't really care much for <laughs> social standards anyway yeah that's why they're like criminals they- there's quite a bit of debate in terms of how are we to interpret the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment reads as follows, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, uh, do you remember the Supreme Court Judge Antonin Scalia? Scalia. Scalia. Yeah. He made this, in, he interpreted this as saying, you don't actually have to be an active member of a militia in order to own a gun. And I think that's actually the correct 
correct interpretation. Really? Yeah, because everything I know about the Founding Fathers, they really hated government tyranny. And they thought a standing army, like a national standing army, that's just a tool of, oppre- of government oppression. So they didn't want a standing army. What they wanted were regional militias. Yeah. And they would be protecting America's borders. And of course, in order to have a militia, you have to give the people the right to be able to own firearms. Otherwise, you can't have one. What do you make of that interpretation, Sam? Um, well, that's, that's really what it all almost uh, is a constant reminder of. I actually spoke to Alan earlier, and he mentioned that there's, uh, a lot of uh, interpretation on what constitutes borders that you you have a you can protect your castle your board your own personal borders the country's borders and what's considered a, a militia um, you can be a militia yourself a one man army pretty much like viper it's possible it's possible um, it's it's uh, another aspect which is part of the DNA of this country where almost your ten commandments says thou shalt have a gun that's pretty much what it, <laughs> that that's pretty much what how, how it's treated and then that fear of when you when you're growing up in a society where things can't go so bad because we have guns well if you take away guns then the possibility of things going absolutely terrible suddenly come up and it's almost like your coping mechanism isn't strong enough to deal with that reality i mean historically it it has happened in europe before where a government has said okay you guys you don't need guns anymore give all your guns to us and then they started oppressing the people but this we're talking like 17th 18th 19th century do you know what i mean it's not really the world we live in now you don't really have to worry too much about government oppression Sam, at the end of a day, at the end of a really shitty day, where your boss is riding you really, really hard, and you're yeah. thinking, and you're like, I've got this one, I've got five hundred rounds at the, home. Yeah, and you just kind of sit down, and you just kind of like, no, no, you know what? Everything's going all right in the world. You know why? There are guns every day. Yeah. Like I like to chew on a bullet every now and again. <laughs> like, just suck on that cartridge. Mm. Mm, tastes like freedom. Oh, it oh. does. That t- tastes like freedom. Uh, as we said earlier, Sam, as you can tell, has got a still got the British accent. He hasn't lost it quite yet. He has the twang. He keeps it in a closet. So um, <laughs> you said you were born and raised in London. At what age? When did you move to the States? Across the well, I, I actually first moved there um, in 99. I went there for two years, didn't quite work out, came back. And then I was kind of in limbo for a bit before I went to uh, University of Glamorgan. You came and visited me once. Yeah, in Wales. Yeah, in Wales. And um, then in 2006, the, the financial crash was happening and things were looking really shit in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just faced with the choice. My, my dad said, hey, look, you know, you, you can stay here and try and make a life for yourself. You can go to America, you know, be with your, some of your family members and probably be a bit happier. And it was, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. So, I mean, how did you find the moving experience? Because it sounds like you, you moved on your own, in a sense. It was a lot easier for me because, well, first of all, I had, I had a green card. So I was able to not really have any problems. You know, I'd go overseas and uh, I'd come to America, I'd renew it when it was expired. And because I visited it before, back and forth, you know, everything is just all hunky-dory. No, no problems. So um, getting actually getting there was nice and easy. I actually feel I'm pretty damn privileged to have a damn green card. So the main adjustments was in, I guess, the culture and outlook on life and <laughs> approach to life and uh, personality being a bit more pleasant, etc., etc. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same in Austin, but 
uh, I went to New York, Manhattan a few years ago on holiday and just people just they just come up to you and just start talking to you and like for being British that is just such a really weird off-putting thing like I remember I was standing outside the hotel having a fag and a girl, many, girl just came up to me she was like hi what's your name how many uh, timeshares did she try and sell you Tom what's that how many timeshares did she try and sell you none she was none? just hey who oh, are you okay. and I was like oh yeah I'm Tom like oh my god your accent like Jeremy you know I and all that kind of spiel uh, <laughs> the people are just a lot more affable a lot more friendly mm. uh, overall um, you still have a lot of attitude you know that's that's, that's always gonna <laughs> Bit of exist and a lot of yeah it's because you know people are people um, but just just the general I, I really think it has a lot to do with the sun like the more sun you have the more likely you are to be a bit more open it's a lot more it's a very normal to just kind of strike up a conversation with a stranger especially mm. in Austin it's just people are just nicer overall I mean you, you do get a lot of transplants from uh, just other places around the world very few people are actually from Austin mm. um I haven't met too many people that are from Austin, but enough to know that they exist. <laughs> from what I understand of Austin, from just podcasts and a couple of the people that I know that have lived there for a little while, is that it's, it, as you said, it's like it's a little bubble in Texas. There's a little bubble mm-hmm. in the mid Midwest. Or is it or, south? Yeah, no, it's, it it's, it's south, but it's kind of middle of the country. Right. Yeah, it, it has a, um, its history is very like hippie based. Yeah. And it, it just has a, a culture and it's known for certain things and people kind of latch on to that thing um, and trying their best to, you know, main, keep it that thing. But it, it is now just changing a lot because you have a lot of uh, apartment complexes being yeah. made in Austin. Um, quite quite a bit of gentrification going on. Yeah, but I think you're right, though. Americans are generally more optimistic than their British counterparts. And even if that's a narrative that's being pushed, it's a good one to be pushed. Yeah, at least it's positive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least it you know, helps you get things done. And then that, that's that's the another thing. It's The conversation is going less from you can be anything to more of a responsible, choose something to do with your life and make money doing it and enjoy it. Yeah, maturing. Oh, wow, that, that is a major change from the the america that's espoused from the 80s and 90s yeah get be good at something that you enjoy doing make money doing it be a good person yeah this is what i tell people here in the uk if if you're young you're bright you're talented especially if you're an intellectual really you want to go stateside you're not going to find a a comfortable home for you here in britain you probably will find it especially if you'll join uh, europe oh well yeah you might have to do that quick but i find like america is more willing to hear out different points of view. Yeah, I, I agree. The, one of my memories, for, uh, m- main, I guess, emotional memories of the UK is just how restrictive you feel as a person towards yourself because everyone gives off that, you know, puritanism. Well, yeah, may, may, maybe not as intense as a puritan, but you're still saying no to a lot of things. You're, you're kind of avoiding things. You're, you're pushing away, maybe not as intensely. You know, you're not going to put up too much of a fight if it comes at you, but... Overall, it's kind of more of a, a no society, yeah. an aversion mm. society. I don't know if in, a, in America they have the phrase um, beyond the pale, like something's truly disgusting, like making makes you feel physically You've gone too sick. far. Yeah. That's yeah. too poetic. <laughs> I find like what's considered beyond the pale in Britain is getting wider and wider and wider. More things are being chucked into it. So the uh, the kind of window of what is acceptable, even in just conversation, the, like the amount of opinions that are allowable for lack of a better word is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because mm. i think america's a little bit more open and some people claim that what you're what you described is happening here as well and that there's a lot of blame on the the super p- left wing 
that something that I always uh, always um, associated with modern day Germany, like right. ultra PC. In terms of like adjusting to American culture, one thing that kind of pissed me off when I was in Manhattan was I would pick something up off the shelf, bottle of JD, and it would say like twenty one dollars, and then when I get to the till, suddenly it's twenty eight dollars. And then you see that sign of uh, the sales tax. But we don't have that in Britain at all. What price it is on the shelf is the price you pay when you get to the counter. You're getting me started. (laughs) (laughs) This is one thing. Nowhere else in the world do they do this. I like to make a point out of that to everyone. No one else in the world does this. Why? Because you can actually squeeze more money out of something. If you have to take into consideration tax, then you can't round off a nice f- uh, price to be four ninety nine or seven ninety nine. They don't want to have to deal with that. That's the freedom to set your own price, and then we'll add the tax on afterwards. It sounds like you know, for a country that wants to get rid of its pennies, they certainly love like the seventy four cents in Britain. The only reason we have pennies, right, is so like you said, uh, four ninety nine. Well, that means you can advertise it as less than five pounds. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's only just, only just less. Than I don't know about you, but I'm I'm tricked by that enough times. Yeah, it does psychologically. It does kind of affect you. You're like, yeah, under five is better than five. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember reading in a Mad magazine back when I was like <laughs> ten, eleven, where they were making fun of that concept. Uh, this was like in the mid nineties, like late eighties, and not much has changed but it feels like we're rediscovering or asking ourselves these the same questions like why is this like this oh i don't know shrug move on <laughs> it's hey it's funny the guys on snl said it it's great so you're saying how, um, <laughs> how people will they're far more friendly they'll come up and talk to you apropos of nothing so they say hi to you or howdy maybe i don't know if they still say that do they say yeehaw someone has sung, <laughs> someone must it's texas someone said yeehaw i don't know what it is people don't really ask me much anymore just i, I guess uh I've, I've kind of grown more facial hair and i'm a bit older so i look a bit more gruff and uh, okay. i'm not as like nice and friendly and i guess fresh faced as i used to be um but if if i ever needed to just like ask someone something the the fear is not there and uh, you even like you don't just open a door for someone you, you know you say you know, thank you you know, kind of look them in the eye and give a nod whatever <laughs> can you it's give someone a stuff. yeehaw please <laughs> I'll get, i don't want to give it he's, he's uh, i'm no one in austin is like from probably from texas yeah. so like, no, he'll probably say no, to me i'm from russia there's no cowboys <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what how was what was the kind of typical reaction when they hear your accent <laughs> yeah you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> yeah, nor, Yeehaw. nor are you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I get every now and still, you know, every now and again, if someone hasn't met me, they're like, oh, oh, hello. <laughs> like, where, where are you from? And then they, they, they do ask, okay, where are you from? And then I tell them, they're like, oh, okay. And then that's really it. That's, that's how, how they leave it, which I appreciate. Because we like to kind of trick ourselves into thinking that, you know what? I, I'm not sexy anywhere else in the world except America where my accent is considered, uh, what do you call it? What's the word? Alluring. No, um, for something that turns you on. An aphrodisiac? Aphrodisiac, thank you. Well, here's here's the problem with that. You kind of have to sound like me and Hugh Grant, because there's (laughs) enough, like, exposure to 
uh, British culture that they're now associating certain voices with, well, first of all, you need to understand someone. So someone mm. from South London probably wouldn't do so well. Oh, um, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, or someone from Yorkshire. Oh, God, Jesus, yeah. Oh, dude, especially, I've got <laughs> I was trying to uh, watch Heroes with uh, uh, Namek's wife, mm. um, but she, in the end, was like, you know what? I cannot stand that Scouse girl. <laughs> the main, the female antagonist. In Heroes? Um, no, not Heroes, shit. It was the British version. Oh, uh, Misfits. Yeah, yeah, Misfits. Oh, That's yeah. the one, Jesus. Yeah, but I forgot um, I forgot her name, but she was very Scouse. And ex-wife was just like, I can't understand a word she's saying. I can't enjoy this. She sounds like a fucking, uh, th- that thing from that Popeye no. olive oil cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Cheryl Cole going over to America to do, I think America's Got Talent or the American Something X like that, Factor. Yeah. And uh, the number one complaint was, yeah, no one in the American audience could understand what she was saying. And they were like, look, put, put subtitles on her. Because we don't That's know not entirely hell. true, but there are a lot of people who wouldn't quite understand it. They just wouldn't understand it. Like on, on television, there, there has to be a certain diction. Yeah. And with the different accents in the US, very few people would be excluded from that. Very few people. Um, so when you do have a, a, a real difference, like a very noticeable difference, but not to the point that you can't understand it, there's going to be people who can't understand it. Oh, much like the uh, everything in UK has a London voice or a yes. southern voice. Like everyone's got a, a newsreader. Yeah, voice. newsreader. Yeah. In America, is it like it's a Midwest accent? <clears throat> I think. So. I'm, I'm really still so bad at my US geography. It's actually quite laughable. Yeah, I know Americans really do. They know everything about America in terms of geography, but then outside of it. Wait, we don't it's getting know better. Canadian. It's getting better. And and to be fair, to be fair, a lot of the things that we say, <laughs> I would have said, is still in the UK that all Americans this, all Americans that, are becoming very, very less true. The generalizations aren't gradually. Really applying yeah, the generalizations are just not working uh, as well. As are you sure used that's to. just They're... not an Austin thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be. That's the that's the scary thing. It might very well be because out in East Texas, mm. yeah, shit, shit, you get yeah, you you do still get some outback mentalities there. So, I mean, do do you notice? That, yeah, it's true. Everything in Texas is bigger. Well, there's more land. There's a lot more space to be filled. Mm. And um, I'm used to the monster trucks. <laughs> no. the, the not monster, the monster oh, trucks. my God. How the many rallies said, have you been to? The way you said no, that no, was I haven't like... Been 20. I don't know why you said monster trucks. I mean, they're pickup trucks, but some of them are monsters. <laughs> I was going to say, like, of... the roads are so wide, you've got monster trucks going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> How about like adjusting to um, portions of food? The size of the portions. Um, it's chilled out a lot since. Yeah, it's chilled out a lot. Since um, Super Size Me. I mean, you can still get a huge portion if you really want to, but it's going to cost you more. Like, food has become a lot more expensive. And in Texas, there is a problem with distribution because places are so far apart and you can't grow anywhere here. I mean, you can grow grapes and grapefruit, <laughs> things that in hot weather. Right. But a lot of the things that we need are, are not really hot weather things that need to be brought in from elsewhere. So I think I read America is actually self-sufficient when it comes to food. They're not really relying on any other countries exporting food to them. Yeah, but that's got to count for like the whole landmass to get it transported around. I can't be great. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I think it's hard for us sometimes to get our heads around how big America is. Mm. The biggest resource, the biggest natural resource in Texas is actually cows, farm, ah, ca- cattle. cattle yeah. Wait, not UFO visits? I was surprised. <laughs> No, that's New Mexico. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Different kind of alien. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
So, I mean, what in, what about in terms of, uh, like, every country, every culture has its own kind of unique tastes to things? Okay, so um, you, here's a thing you have to realize, that pe- the burger is everywhere. Just just, just embrace the burger. It's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you, in order to cut out, uh, the main thing that you have to watch is your sugar intake. Sugar is in mm. everything. Everything sure. has high fructose corn syrup. The bread has high fructose corn syrup. Really? Yeah. What? You look at in the ingredients of the bread, and it's going to have high, high fructose. Like, every, it's, in, it's in everything. So you have to really watch it, especially when you're drinking. Um, I start saying soda a lot. I don't know if you guys still say soda. A Coke. Yeah. Coke. Yeah, yeah. Or fizzy pop. <laughs> we get yeah, enough. We get the the 1950s American, version of English. Yeah. We get enough American TV to like yeah, know, you know, certain so. things like uh, chips is crisps. Yeah. Yeah. I just call everything chips now. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> um, the, so the, the, the kind of meat that's used in the burgers <laughs> are actually vastly different in the different fast food outlets. So the people actually rave on about in and out burger. Um, but no one really cares about that in Texas because we have Whataburger. Like it's literally that. called What a Burger. <laughs> it, in one word, it's it's kind of awkward, but you get over it quick. Do they spell it the English way? W O T. No, no. The the meat is actually really good, and I can actually have a burger in there and not feel sick. Mm. McDonald's, um, <clears throat> the prices have increased, and the I always feel sick in my stomach after I eat something. It's like a lesson I never learn. Every six months. Did you ever try the KFC Double Down? No, we make fun of that. We all make fun of it. In fact, a friend of mine um, made a point about saying that that's idiocracy coming to life. Oh, yeah. Trump is idiocracy oh. coming to life. But no, it, not, not until he could uh, personally beat up people who disagreed with him. Now, I heard in America, they don't really have gravy. Their gravy is this white, what? thick, what? gross... Look it up. I, okay, so the gravy and biscuits, I, I'm mm. like, got my head in my palm of my hands right now. It's just, <laughs> it just causes such brain hurt when I, the conversation comes up about biscuits. They're like- biscuits. They're savory. They're savory things that you have with savory food. You're supposed to have the the, the floury. It's like cornbread, um, isn't corn. it? Or scones. Cut, yeah, it's it's kind of like a savory scone. Ah, uh, okay. But it's not cornbread because it's not made from corn. And the gravy is is very thick, lumpy, and some people love it. Great, that's great for them. But it doesn't sit well with me. Moving <laughs> to a different country, you've kind of got an opportunity there to reinvent yourself. To kind of be a new person. Oh, jeez. Did you take that opportunity at all? Well, coming from a repressed, I guess, slightly. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I came from a super strict boarding school, but there was there was a lot that I denied myself that I tried to indulge in, and uh, I didn't know how to control it, so to speak. You know, I wanted to play guitar, mm. wanted to make music, um, but I just ended up playing lots and lots of computer games <laughs> and not really working on myself. And uh, I guess all the existential issues just came along with everything else. <laughs> this is this is a really broad question, so you know, duck it if you want to. But sure. what what would you say is the, kind of the best and the worst things in your experience of moving stateside? Well, honestly, the the hardest part is not having the being close to the friends that I had. Uh, a lot of people, both in the UK and the US, are all about. Oh, I grew up here. I came from there. I go back there and I check everything out and how it is. And I don't know. I, I almost feel like um, it's not so much I was uprooted, but my roots never really took place to begin with. I never really committed to a place. Mm. Um, but uh, the the hardest part. <laughs> 
moving here was not having a car. (laughs) (laughs) Not having a car and trying to get around was almost, uh, it it was crippling. Um, Everything else I've actually dealt, uh, I've actually dealt with, like when, my parents were divorced when I was younger. I was in Dubai at the time and uh, you know, flying back. And I, I guess all of that get, came out of my system when I visit my family in uh, the U.S. when I was a lot younger. In primary school, I'd come back and I'd feel really sad because, you know, I'm back in the darkness of the U.K. in the cloudy skies <laughs> as a kid. And there was so much light and toys and fun and love back there. And, yeah, so the, I guess the, the moving, you know, I'd already come to terms with. But... Um, because of the circumstances of me going in 2006, it was very quick. It was like, okay, you had to make a decision. What do you want to do with yourself? Okay, off to the US. So I felt I never really had proper closure mm-hmm. from living in the UK. But I did have that closure when I came last year. Yeah, true. That, that, was, that was very important to me. I really needed that closure to say that final goodbye, see the place I grew up in, in a, uh, as an adult see my old home and walk down the places that I was and grew up. It, it, was, it, it was important. It felt important. Yeah. So, I mean, how much are you into, like, gaming? Gaming is in my blood. I can't get away from it. I have a Steam account, and every time there's a sale, there are all these games that come out, and I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. But I, I think I've kind of fucked myself in that. I've spent my whole, like, all the time in, in Wales, and pretty much since I came to the U.S., playing computer games for fun. Some may not see that that's a bad thing, but I feel that this is almost what makes me happy. But it's not the games itself. It's the socializing with these uh, with other people thankfully i found like a couple of individuals that i'm friends with on skype that we do regularly chat and get to get and talk and play games together and it's really good therapy because um e3 the big <sighs> gaming expo convention it kind of came and went and we didn't really notice it here in the uk because we were focused on the eu referendum something more important yes i mean it kind of passed me by but that's been happening more and more really lately um I think console gaming, I think mm-hmm. that's actually going to start dying off. And I think, because uh, what we, the kind of big really? hardware news that came out of this year's E3, uh, Sony and Microsoft have, I don't know what term you would use, they're kind of like semi-improved on the current consoles they've got. So there's a PS4.5, which is like a, a kind of step between PS4 and PS5. And I don't know, I think they're going to push Ish. people towards PC gaming, because who wants to keep buying a kind of mini upgrade on a console? But I thought that was the main um, incentive of it. Like you, you can buy an upgrade, but you have you keep your core hardware system. No, but I mean, what do you do? Well, you just throw out the old one, you sell it on eBay. Like what? That's the thing. That's that's not their responsibility, and that's a that's a problem with the business model as a whole. They're releasing these extra boosts to support future hardware and and future stuff, and it, it really feels like a way of them just kind of cashing in. It was kind of stupid of them not to have 4K support to begin with, but now they're adding... That's one of the main issues with... One of the main points of the new iterations that it either supports 4K gaming or it supports 4K video. Mm. That's like the next resolution. I don't even have fucking 4K 
TV, yeah. but and also they're, they're, everyone has their own VR virtual reality thing. I know Steam has one right off of the PC. And I, I actually disagree with you with um, they want to get people on the PC, that it's actually kind of the opposite. They want people on consoles because that's what makes them the most money. And it's not they, it's, it's Sony and Microsoft. They have their own vested interest. Yeah, but I and think then you- they're, they're, they're pushing people to pc gaming inadvertently obviously but oh oh in that in that sense yeah absolutely like the consoles have been out what a year yeah not that much yeah and they're bringing out new versions they're probably going to drop the price of the old versions and do you know what it reminds me of i don't like it go on do you remember there was the sega mega drive yeah the mega cd yeah the 32x yeah and they were all like these little add-ons that were in the in the interim between an actual new console yeah. And it kind of just, that killed Sega, really. Yeah, but the Sega CD, I mean, like, you almost had to have a sacrificial lamb to show, like, <laughs> so you're, you're, yeah, that, so. you're, that you're going ahead in this whole new paradigm shift with CDs for gaming as opposed to cartridges. Yeah. But I think that's one positive where, like, the direction of video games is cross-platform support. Like, that's, that's interesting to me. Is that I I I don't know uh, which games do that actually. I suppose I mean obviously it's not going to be all of them, but they both Microsoft and Sony seem to be showing interest in letting people like PS4 users play against Xbox One users. Mm, that would be nice. I mean, it's almost like both sides working together to make things better for each other. Yeah. I don't know if that's gonna. <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna work out. Um, but it's that's an interesting idea. Um, yeah, but at the same same time you you have this huge uh, divide between pc and console mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't have the money for both the high end pc that yeah. i do mine's actually not even ultra high it's it's kind of like mid high and the and it will last me for a long while so a lot of the uh, the hot highly anticipated games that were coming out of this year's e3 i mean like i didn't really look in depth but it seemed to be they were all uh, sequels established intellectual property oh very much like cinema nowadays yeah yeah, that's the parallel that is the parallel that you would need to draw because of the cost incurred when it takes to create a new game and the risk and things just to make a triple a game costs more than almost more than a movie do you remember Shenmue on the Dreamcast? Yeah. I yeah, remember that's, that set benchmark for the most expensive game in terms of production costs, and I think it was $30 million. Whereas like yeah. that now, I think that's probably like a fraction now of what developers pay. That What that means yeah. is, is if you do have a commercial flop, you could lose so much money on it that you wouldn't have enough capital to uh, develop a new game. You'd go out of yeah. business. Yeah, that's right. That that's uh, that's why a lot of the new titles come out if they are brand new are generally based upon an archetype already. Yeah, like the so only yeah, really it, kind of newish one I've seen was on the Wii U. The you know the little squids. You cover an area. It's like a first-person shooter type game where you have to cut. You say you're a blue squid. Yeah, and you're against an orange squid. Based on that, based on the uh, the online game oh, Splatoon. Splatoon. Yeah, that's it. Splatoon. That's what it's called. <laughs> oh, okay, that's Thank the only really kind of new type game that I've seen because a lot of what was coming out of this E3, there's a new Zelda. That's always like people always wet their pants over a new Zelda. Was it? Yeah, um, I remember. Uh, I remember. Was it last year? I worked the conference uh, for the Minecraft my, oh. my Minecraft festival that was last year. Minecon. Minecon, yeah, oh God, that was the biggest pile of bullshit ever. I got paid a shitload for doing overtime on that, but uh, oh, wow. but the whole innovation on it was like, oh, we're gonna have like a story mode on this. Yeah, but I always, I mean, I'm I'm not a gamer, but I always saw like the whole point of Minecraft is you don't need a story mode. The story is the one that you create, and I thought yes. this must be like you're at the end of your tether. You can't think of anything better now. 
you've hit the ceiling. It's all about creating your own world. Yeah. But that's what I find. um, I'm kind of falling out of step with the gaming world. I grew up on the old arcade games like Double Dragon. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Brilliant theme tune. Brilliant music. Like Streets of Rage. Oh my God. Probably the best video game music of all time. Yuji Naka, you legend. (laughs) 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 But um, because the old school gaming, like gaming to me is it's killing 20 minutes. I've got 20 minutes to kill. I'm going to pop a quarter or in Britain Britain a pound into the arcade (laughs) machine and I'm going to waste... 15, 20 minutes of my life doing something fun. Yeah. Whereas games today, it's to me, they strike me as just all being about grinding it out. That's an, it's an investment. You want to yeah. keep people playing. You want to keep people involved in your product. That's what it comes down to. Um, I have like all the Blizzard games and there's always ways of getting people to keep playing, keeping up to date. Yeah. There's things always happening, always keeping new content and that that's one thing which I'm, I'm starting to see in some aspects is they want they have these good games and they just want to establish a game and instead of making a sequel just add more content to it because yeah. we're getting to the point where you can't really make what well, you can't make graphics better constantly with every game that you bring out it's if seemed, you want to bring out as fast as you want it seems kind of cheap that they it's it's the argument of like oh we added better special effects to this movie so it must be a better movie it doesn't work like that right. with games right. and films I, I i never understood that right now you have a lot of different art styles a lot of different approaches mm, a lot of different well. ways that something is animated which you either like it or you don't like it it's not really a case of this game has better graphics than this game on a console er- everything looks uh, how it's supposed to for the time that it's released and for the budget that it was I mean, given. It sounds interesting, kind of like growth laterally as opposed to forward. Yeah, they're kind of hoping that the VR is going to... Really? Br- yes. br- bring it, bring a different approach to gaming, yeah, because a lot of people are crazy about it, um, just being able to look around and everything, but I'm kind of worried about that. I mean, you, admittedly, have you, like, have you tried any of that VR? I haven't. It's, it's expensive. <laughs> oh, wow. But, I mean, once, right. once China starts, like, reverse engineering the technology, there'll be much, much cheaper VR headsets coming out. Yeah, go to, China. Which is great. That's how you get cheap televisions. Because I went, I went cheap. from um, having a NES for a very long time to a Mega Drive, and then I went to a Sega Saturn. Right, and when like anyone who owned a Sega Saturn knows, the argument is gameplay over graphics. Because the Sega Saturn wasn't that great when it came to right. 3D graphics. It was at the very still least. pretty good. But I think it's today there's such an obsession. And I mean, admittedly, graphics today are better than I ever imagined as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost photorealistic. So, yeah. I, I do remember about a couple of years ago, I had, I'm not a computer game player, but I was playing Halo, the original Halo, on the original Xbox. Oh, that came out years after it, it was... moved so clunkily compared to what I understood, what I remember. But I remember yeah. it being, like, the smoothest thing ever. Yeah, because the physics in games has got so much better. Mm. Like, driving games mm-hmm. especially really do. Like, the old school driving games, you felt like a matchbox, mm. just slipping and sliding like around. the world was moving around you as opposed to you moving around the world. Yeah. <laughs> No yeah, how. like the, the mechanics are getting so complicated now. Like just because um, I was playing Street Fighter Four, and my nephew came in, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, what's this game?" And he's oh, like, no. he sees like he sees Ryu shooting a fireball out of his hands, and he's like, "Oh, yeah. wow, that's amazing!" But he he expected it to just be press one button. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah trying to teach him fireball motion because video, yeah. video games for kids now they're very very simple in terms of you get the on screen sh- instruction. 
I would have imagined the yeah. other way around, as in like kids are so computer literate that they'll pick up their oh it's just computer this literacy. No, no, no. You're talking about like physical dexterity versus ah, something okay, that's intellectual. Do you remember that, that that glorious feeling of when you actually got to do dragon punches consistently when you wanted to? As oh opposed, my god! As opposed to just yes. randomly, it came out. <laughs> yes. Like my wake-up game is strong. I, I will say that. <laughs> I knew, I, that. That's my feeling with Sonic Boom with Guile. <laughs> but it's like you had no instructions back in those days, man. No, you uh, you, you oh. automatically lost the the booklet that told you how to move, or you, rented, oh, you threw it away. Totally, or you yeah. or you rented the game and it didn't come with the booklet, <laughs> and you worked it out. Do you think- like when I used to visit my mum in um, um, uh, like Cyprus when I was a little kid, that was when arcades were like everywhere. It was mm. like in eight, eighty six, uh, not no, early early nineties in yeah. some of the crappier areas in Europe. But um, I when I would play the, the that game, fucking Street Fighter two, I was completely obsessed with it. I didn't know what the moves were, but I came across someone who was way older than me, but he wrote down some moves. Moves on a sticky note for me. Nice. He wrote. He wrote down how to do Chun Li's uh, spinning bird kick and taught me how to do a fireball. And <laughs> so uh, that, that's how I first learned is by someone like writing down on a pad what yeah, the moves are. I think what we're talking about is like modern gaming doesn't have that personal interaction with. No, I'm kidding. Because you get all the uh, you get all the uh, you get all the instructions on screen. It tells mm. you press this button to do this. Press this button at this point. And uh, it was like a rite of passage. I remember when Street Fighter Three first came out in the arcades, and it was the most beautiful looking game I'd ever seen in mm. my life. And I remember I, I took on a guy. You know you, that you have to pluck up the courage to put your pound down. Yeah. To say I'm next. Oh. <laughs> and I remember the guy was doing all these moves, and I was like, what the. I can't like I had no concept mm-hmm. whatsoever of understanding what he was doing, and I just had to pluck up the courage to just turn to him and go, "Hey, look, man, how, how are you doing that?" Like, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's a it's a one on one competition, so you don't really feel yeah. like you can say to your opponent, "How are you beating me?" Yeah. <laughs> quick, question, quick question, quick yes. question, Sam: Are there any arcades still in the states? Yes, um, actually, there is this one chain called Pinballs, Pinballs. with uh, with a Z at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this place is actually quite um, new in my particular location. It's just right across the road. And they have so many pinball machines and so many uh, arcade machines. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, it is actually really cool. It's uh, You know, you go there and you spend like $40 on coins. You don't really like spend all of that money in one go, but you could if you really wanted mm. to. Uh, it's kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese almost, except right. that you, you Dave uh, have... Buster's thing, yeah. Yeah, Dave and Buster's type thing, but it's got way more arcades. Um, I do remember yeah. seeing a Street Fighter 3, you know, that I played. That's one of the things I really, really miss, and I, I that's just purely as I've grown up more, that I love the the arcade boxes, the art in it. And even yes. when you when you would go to, say, like a yeah. fun fair, the mm. cheap knockoff versions of it, because you, know, do you, know you what knew I what it was originally, and I just love that. I miss the artwork, <laughs> the artwork completely mis-selling you and what the game looked like yes <laughs> the closest thing i've ever seen to that is if you ever go to hong kong or china and you buy like western dvds they're just they're, it's clearly clearly just gonna, like we've taken these random shots of these other movies and stuck on the back of these dvds oh, yeah, and we and we've and we've got this google interpret version of what the 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 knockoff version yeah, yeah the google translate yeah, it's of what like the crouching story. massage hidden chair <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like a picture of optimus prime in the back behind the two two main chinese characters yeah like, uh, I, I loved it. Right. I mean, I, I, I couldn't help. I had to buy one. So That's I think, great. I think the gaming world has passed me by. I, I might get a PS4 
but I'd only be getting it to play Street Fighter Five. Mm. I wouldn't really be getting it for and much to play else. all your Blu-rays on. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, I just I hope arcade-style gaming never really truly dies. Like goes away. What completely. you need to do is get a PC. That's okay. And yeah. I'll actually talk to you about how to make your own arcade. The like main cabinet thing. No, not even a main cabinet, but you can just install a bunch of emulators on your mm. computer. I've got, yeah, I've got like uh, the Neo Geo. Yeah. I've got an old version of MAME that lets me play the games I want to play, the late 80s, early 90s mm-hmm. video games. Oh, the uh, Teenage yeah. Ninja Turtle like, games. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like Captain Commando. Final oh, yeah. Fight. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Uh, We're all so I'm, old. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it out I'm, loud. I'm, just, I'm crazy oh, for Streets of oh, Rage. We have to mention anyone who's never heard of Metal Slug. Oh. <laughs> go Google it now. Go download the ROM. Oh, that and is an addictive game. It's an amazing game. Oh wow! Yes, can't can't say can't say no to that. Can you actually really see people standing in their living room with the VR headset? Like tripping over the coffee table and like putting a like an elbow through a wall. I don't know. I don't know if that will really take off. No, because uh, whenever someone does anything in the living room, they kind of make sure that they have space around them. Unless, like, what I can see are people putting up YouTube videos of playing pranks on people who are using the vr yeah like like brothers and sisters because once you put it on all you can see is the game you can't really see what's happening but what if what if you have a sibling who's a complete shit and you're you're of course completely immersed (laughs) yeah well you're supposed to be and then they're constantly like poking you things (laughs) what if they move the bucket that you're using for getting seasick and throwing up (laughs) oh i threw up on the coffee table again no or what, what if you don't have, or what if they like rearrange the room back to the way it was before you moved everything out the way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> say is uh, thank you very much to Sam for joining us all the way from Texas. Yay, love it, love it. Good having you on. Thank you for having me on. What time is it over there? It is half twelve, half midnight. Oh my. And Hyman's oh looking my. at the bus timetables and shitting himself. No, <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, I'll give you a lip, but I'm never here. <laughs> well, thank you once again, my uh, partner in crime, Hyman. We'll yay. never get caught. We'll never get caught. They'll never no. catch us. And we'll be. We'll, I'm always all over the place. We'll die, die in a hail of bullets, like Bonnie and Clyde. We Why need... am I Bonnie? How did I become Bonnie in this? I like the way you assumed that. that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>